Welcome back to Horoscope Witch. It's Mal and we're finally here guys. We're finally at The Artist's Way Part 2. I'm going to resist apologizing for how late this episode is because I think I just apologize too much in general but I will say I thank you very much if you've been waiting patiently for me to actually get around to recording this episode um and I actually if you look at my calendar for the month of October I had this episode recording penciled in my calendar and I was gonna record like mid-October and it just never happened because October for psychics is like is like the North Pole for Santa Claus in December. So it was just so busy, but finally we're here. And I really believe that all episodes happen in divine timing. And that's part of the thing too, that I'm, that, that I'm struggling with as a creative, um, especially since we're talking about creativity, right? So the artist's way, if you're new, the artist's way is an examination of, of creativity and our creative journey and also our manifest, our ability to manifest what we want in our lives. And as a creative, I, uh, something I struggle with is, um, whether or not I should create on a schedule versus creating, when I think the time is finally right and you know I see both sides and part of me feels like if I had the my podcast scheduled more on like oh Mal uploads every Wednesday or whatever it is uh, maybe that would benefit me but then on the other hand I have such a feeling like okay no each episode happens in divine timing and part of me does create better when I don't have a schedule but then there's another part of my shadow artist uh, which we'll talk about the shadow artist more on this episode there's another part of my shadow artist that's like you know, like the Kermit memes when like Kermit's wearing like a cloak and he's like, don't do it, don't have a schedule. Um, because like as creatives, we actually know if we were a little bit more regimented and scheduled, maybe things would flow easier and we would be less stressed out about the things we create. You guys get me, right? Do you get me? Okay, picking up what I'm putting down. So um, anyways, if you're back for part two, welcome. If you're new and you found this episode just by typing in the artist's way, um, I also have a part one to this episode, so make sure you listen to that first. One of my disclaimers for my Horoscope Witch book club is that you don't have to read the book, you don't have to buy the book. Uh, in order to get something out of this episode, you may very well just enjoy listening to uh, the wisdoms of this book that I kind of uh, pick out and I, I sort of elaborate on and maybe that's enough. But really, it's just my intention to inspire anybody who's listening, any blocked creatives who are listening and by the way hi my name is Mallory and I'm a blocked creative <laughs> and I'm still a blocked creative even though I've been working through this book for a couple months now I'm still working through it and I think this part two of this episode is really gonna highlight you know actually we kind of start out on the artist's way journey and we start getting things cooking and then there's certain blocks we may start to hit because the deep we the 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 longer we keep doing the artist's way program the deeper we're going to hit 
our like kind of inner child wounds, our shadow sides, all of that stuff. And like I said in the first episode, this book, The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, it is not just for artists. Even if you don't identify as like a painter or a writer or a musician, um, that's okay. I truly believe that everybody could get something out of this book because we are all creators. Uh, We all are manifestors. And if you are having issues with manifesting the things that you want to get out of life or you're just having issues with even changing your life, if you're having issues with just having the same old suffering over and over and over, and you would like a change where you are happier and more fulfilled, but you don't know how to go about it and you feel stuck and stagnant, I think this book is awesome for that. I mean, granted, this book is going to call you to do um, some really deep work. And that's one of the things that I wanted to kind of open with. This book is has led me into the deepest shadow work I've ever done. Um, It's led me to really look at those inner child wounds that I've been ignoring basically my whole life. It's challenged me to just come face to face with really uncomfortable feelings like shame, embarrassment, um, self-hatred, all of these things that actually I think a lot of us spend our lives operating around and we just try to ignore all of the places in life where we are ashamed or we are embarrassed or we do have self-hatred and and we kind of organize our lives. Uh, It's like the elephant in the room. We organize our lives around this elephant in the room and then we wonder why we're not happy Maybe it's because our lives are set up to avoid this hard work that actually we have to face in order to get to uh, a state of being where we feel more free. And that's really what this book is evoking for me. And I did say this, um, if you are a regular listener to Horoscope Witch, Um, you may listen to my moon sermons. So on the last moon sermon, I did touch on this a little bit. Uh, my, my sort of meditations on happiness. And that's really what this book is bringing up for me. It's kind of the, the shadow that I think a lot of us carry, um, in sort of our patriarchal capitalistic, um, you know, misogynistic society, you know, what does that society think about happiness? Uh, that kind of society that we live in, if you live in the Western world, it doesn't prioritize happiness and it sometimes doesn't even seem like happiness is in the equation. So thus, I think we are raised and conditioned um, On one hand, it's kind of bullshit because I'm a millennial and I grew up being told, follow your dreams, shoot for the stars. I literally remember having a little banner in elementary school above like the blackboard that said, shoot for the stars. And that's exactly what I'm trying to do. And I'm just facing, you know, criticism after criticism after criticism, like, you know, from the outside world. So it's kind of bullshit. We tell these kids growing up, like, you can do whatever you want, but then we start to do whatever we want, and then people try to bring us down. (laughs) 
So that's one thing. The other thing, going back to the happiness situation, uh, you know, I've realized through this book that some of that internalization around actually unhappiness and the way that we continually choose to be unhappy in life and there is definitely I think an ancestral belief or some kind of conditioning that I've sort of soaked up as a sponge when it comes to my family's system when it comes to like we need to suffer or we need to be unhappy or we need to look for the negatives in life and really the positives don't necessarily matter now I'm not saying this to totally spiritually bypass any negative experiences that's not what I'm saying at all obviously I recognize that life is filled with dark and light in order to have the light we need to have the dark I believe that I'm equally a light worker and a shadow worker and I think we all are Uh, but our resistance to our own happiness I think comes from our resistance to our power of creation. And what I've realized through this book is that think of all the ways that me and you and everybody else searches for happiness outside of ourselves. We think that the perfect job would provide us happiness. We think the perfect relationship would give us happiness. We think that the perfect couch or purse or shoes or car or city will give us happiness and yet and I can testify to this you know me working a job that I truly love why why am I still struggling with depression why am I still struggling with anxiety um why don't I feel happy at times in my dream job why is that It's because I'm still trying to search for happiness outside of myself. And having to face that has been very eye-opening. And I literally had a moment, like, I think two weeks ago where I, like, threw my hands up. And I was like, I seriously don't know how to cultivate happiness inside of myself. Like, I admitted that to myself. I was like, I don't. No. And even though that's kind of sad to admit, I don't think I'm the only one. (laughs) I'm sure there are people listening on the other um, end who are like, I feel the same way in, in, in some context. And what I realized through this book is, you know, getting to how do we cultivate happiness inside of ourselves Uh, that internal self-love, that internal happiness that all the spiritual gurus are talking about, but they don't exactly give you the directions to how to actually get to it. Um, That internal happiness is achieved through our creations, through creating whatever it may be, your art, your writing, your life, your dreams, your weird and quirky business, your podcast whatever it may be, that is how we cultivate internal happiness. Uh, And that is also the very thing that we are the most resistant to, right? And this whole book is about that, right? This whole book's point is that are all the reasons we are so resistant to creation, all of the reasons we're so resistant 
to taking charge of our own happiness. And gosh, guys, this book has really put a mirror in front of me, so I can't recommend it enough. Um, But regardless, those are some of the things that are coming up. Now, without, I know I'm already blabbing about myself a lot, and we will get to the book, but the other thing that I felt important to bring up is that I thought, I had expectations from this book about how if I could finish it, I could just get back to writing. If you, again, listen to the first episode if you haven't. Um, But in the first episode, I shared a story about how um, I was a creative writing major in college. Um, I identify as a writer and a poet. And I thought that this book was going to help me get back to writing, which I have not done in so long, and I still haven't done, by the way. Um, however, this book has gone deeper than that, and I realized that my inability or my resistance, I should say, my resistance to writing again and creating again and writing poetry, writing stories, whatever it may be, um, that resistance was coming from such a deeper place. And um, that deeper place is, is coming from, again, inner child wounds, a fear of being in the body. It's actually, this book has... Um, I guess inspired me to consider why I'm so afraid um, of my body, so afraid to do things like move or dance. Um, And that's something that I didn't expect, right? I never thought this book would lead me to, you know, think about taking a dance class or think about, you know, doing something that would get me in my body but that's where this book has been leading me um because this book has been leading me to that wound around being afraid of being in the body um so i'll give you guys an example and we'll talk about this as we go on uh but basically i was i was talking with my therapist and um you know we are talking about this fear of me being in my body and um she suggested you know movement or dancing or yoga or something like that and of course I'm like there's a part of me and my inner child that completely breaks down at that thought because I'm just so deeply embarrassed like sometimes I feel like my embarrassment is 10 miles thick um (laughs) and uh just even the thought of doing something like that makes me so deeply embarrassed and I there and that bothers me there's a part of me that hates how embarrassed I am on a day-to-day basis to do certain things and again if you just listen to me you don't know me in person you you, and again this is more vulnerable than I usually am on my podcast Um, maybe you don't realize that about me because you know you listen to me and uh, you know you probably have a certain idea of who I am, but you don't get to see everything. You don't get to see my whole struggle. And uh, as extroverted or as, I don't know, talkative as you may find me on this podcast, there are way other parts of myself that are, that are hermity, 
isolate, wants to isolate, embarrassed, shame, shamed, all, all these things. So basically, I've been working through that in therapy, and quite quickly, um, I actually at the shop I work at, I ran into um, a dance teacher. And I'm not kidding. And that's the magic of this book. This book shows you how God co-creates with you. So the minute I said, you know, in therapy, I'm so afraid of my body. I hate that I'm so embarrassed. I'm so ashamed of a lot of different things. Um, about myself and I feel like dance would be something a way to work through this but I'm so afraid of that literally guys the next day I run into a dance teacher that I've never met before and she's awesome and I felt really connected with her and I'm working towards building up the confidence to actually take some classes with her and long story short God is co-creating with you in very unusual ways. And you know what? It's interesting that this whole fear of dance is coming up for me because I can, I'm not a psychic or anything, wink, wink, but I can almost tell that if I can get outside of my comfort zone enough to take some of these dance classes with this teacher, I think that might actually be how I get back to my pen and hand and writing my poetry because you see how all of these things are interconnected and all of this stuff is really just leading back to an embarrassed inner child which is always the source of our creative blockages Uh, so again I don't mean to blab about myself but those are the things that have been coming up for me with this book and maybe you'll relate to some of them I I would assume most of you will relate to something I'm saying just because if you're attracted to the frequency of this podcast, we, we probably share similar wounds and, um, and I think that's beautiful. And if we, can cre- if we can create and heal together, that's actually my hope and my intention for this specific series. Okay, enough of that. Um, I thought before we get into uh, the the actual book, um, I saw a tweet. I don't know if you guys follow um, Guy in your MFA on Twitter, um, but he tweeted, I have purchased a new moleskin notebook. Finally, this is the thing I've needed to begin writing the great American novel that will change the literary landscape. The thing holding me back was the lack of a new notebook. <laughs> Which I just thought was so funny and so artist way. Because we all have so many excuses as to why we're not creating, right? I don't have the right notebook. Seriously, I and I'm a writer. I can't tell you how many times that's been my excuse. I don't have the right pen. I need to go find the perfect notebook. Um... I need to go buy that paintbrush. I need that canvas. Um, I need that new instrument, that new guitar, whatever it is. All of these blockages we put in front of ourselves. Um, I just thought that was funny. And isn't it so true? Um, so on page 29, Julia Cameron, she says, we want to be great, immediately great. But that is not how recovery works. 
So, um, in this point in the story, um, or in this point in the book, we're kind of working through, we're working through what the recovery process actually looks like. And in the first episode, we talked about the certain activities that Julia Cameron is telling us to do. She's telling us to do the morning pages, which is writing three pages of stream of consciousness, writing per morning. And she's also asking us to do an artist date once a week, we should make a date with ourselves and to create and always keep that date. Um, so as we do these things, um, you know, and again, f- rewind to five minutes ago, those two things seem really simple, right? Morning pages and artist date. But you see how those two simple things and by the way I haven't even been doing those every day I've been pretty bad about it I need to even commit more to it um so don't feel bad if you're also struggling to do those morning pages every day because I am and I'll talk about that more Uh, but even me doing it um I don't want to say half-ass but yeah let's just say even me doing half-ass morning pages has taken me to a very deep place in in my healing in my shadow work in my inner child work um so we think that if we just do the morning pages for a week if we just show up to our artist date once a couple times oh I should be I should be cooking I should be I should be going like I used to I should pick this right back up I should be writing the next great American novel but in no time um here's where and I kind of thought that because again like I said I thought I was just going to read through this book and it would work some kind of magic and I'd be back and by now I should be on here telling you guys that my poem got published a poetry magazine no it doesn't work like that and I'm and I'm realizing this too that the recovery process the creative recovery process again has taken me in a completely unexpected direction with that dance class thing and being in the body situation that has come up uh so do be mindful that your creative recovery process could look very different than you think it's going to. Um, And it could bring up some very tough stuff to work through. And um, it could take us months to get through one chapter of this book because this book is poking at our deepest wounds. Like I said, I can't say it enough. So fast forward to page 50. Um, Julia Cameron tells a story about this guy named Mike. And on page 50, she says, When Mike began his creative recovery, he let himself admit that he wanted to make films. Two weeks later, through a series of coincidences, he found himself in film school with his company paying for it. Did he relax enough to enjoy this? No. He told himself that film school was distracting him from his real job of finding another job. And so he gave up film school to look for another job. Two years later, remembering this incident, Mike can shake his head at himself. When the universe gave him what he wanted, he gave the gift right back. Eventually, he did let himself learn filmmaking, but he made it a lot harder on himself than the universe may have intended. 
Okay. So let's, let's think about that for a moment. And in the first episode, we did talk about how the universe hands us these gifts constantly and we turn them down. Uh, for instance, um, in that little story I shared about me talking about how I wanted to maybe do dance classes, although it scares the shit out of me. Literally the next day I meet a dance teacher. It's been a couple weeks since I've talked to her. Okay. Um, and that is a gift that I could have easily turned down on this day. Actually this morning I DM'd her and I was like, listen, I'm I'm scared, but here's the deal. What can we do together? Um, So I did reach out this morning to do some kind of collaboration with this dance teacher. However, how easy would have been to just meet her and get that gift from the universe and never talk to her again? How easy would that have been? Uh, So we can see how it, it just isn't that mind-boggling how quickly the universe will answer our call and then how quickly we will turn it down um so like mike in that in that story it was actually baffling how easy it was to manifest his dream of going to film school and it even was at a deeper level he didn't even have to pay for it so we make up all this stuff in our heads about how the journey is going to be too hard or it's going to be too expensive or it's um and again I'm not discounting financial struggles but granted and do you hear that siren in the background as I'm talking about this we make up all this stuff we we have these self-made boundaries in our path and we don't want to admit That God is co-creating with us. That's the most important part of this book. And sorry if I'm kind of repeating myself from the first episode, but I think it's still relevant. Why wouldn't God want us to be on our path? Why wouldn't God want us to create? Why wouldn't God want to help us? us and shifting into that mindset is so powerful because if we can believe that god or the universe or what do you whatever you call them is co-manifesting with us and is holding our hand and is supporting us in our dreams then things get so much easier and i think there's a part of us that actually struggle um with accepting that things could be easier and i also think we fear things being easier right um and i think maybe all of us at some point in our lives uh, me especially i've i've had this feeling this year um sometimes it does scare me how quickly my manifestations come to fruition. Uh, I'll give an example. At the beginning of October, in a manifestation, I visualized um, sort of my my books being filled with astrology appointments. And by the end, by like mid-October, I had to start booking people for November um, for astrology appointments because like it you it, know it, it's like once I opened that that portal in a way where I was like I'm I'm available for God to help me get to this place that I would like to be in my career I would actually like to manifest some kind of waiting list for my astrology appointments um 
not because I want to be an asshole and be like, oh, I'm so exclusive. I, I have a waiting list, but because I want to, I want to be in alignment with people who are seeking astrology readings and with people who match my frequency, if that makes sense. Um, so the, how quickly that happened, it kind of scares you a little bit. It's like, oh, holy shit. Like there is a God. <laughs> And like, no matter how deeply or devout you you are, like, I, I do consider myself a devout person, even though I don't necessarily identify with a certain religion. Um, you know, there are there are still moments where you're just like, holy shit, like God is real. Um, so that's really, I think, what we fear. <laughs> and Julia Cameron says that, too, in some way. So on page 51. She says, one of the things most worth noting in a creative recovery process is our reluctance to take seriously the possibility, here we go, the possibility that the universe just might be cooperating with our new and expanded plans. We've gotten brave enough to try recovery but we don't want the universe to really pay attention. We still feel too much like frauds to handle some success. When it comes, we want it to go. So whoever's listening on the other line right now, I do want you to think of a moment in your life uh, when you did achieve something and after that achievement, you self-sabotaged because the minute you felt success you kind of pushed it away for me it goes back to the story I shared in the first episode what spiraled this like two year now going on two plus years of of shadow artist not writing not doing my work what spiraled it it was me getting fucking published sorry freaking published in a poetry magazine that success was the thing that spiraled me downwards. And how many people do that same thing in other contexts? It could be anything. It doesn't have to be, again, this book doesn't have to be about creation of art necessarily. It can be about any part of your life where you succeed and then it immediately leads into self-sabotage. And we know when we have that pattern, where is it coming from? That's when we got to talk to our inner child, right? That's when, that's when we know we've got some inner child stuff to work through. So um, I also think that Julia Cameron on page 51, she, she makes this point that you know, we slam the door on our own ideas, our inspirations, and our creative recovery process because we're more comfortable within the safety of our doll rooms and normal walks of life. Um, so, and then she says, you know, inner work triggering outer change, ridiculous, slams the door. God bothering to help me with my own creative recovery, slam. Synchronicity supporting my artist with serendipitous coincidences, slam, slam, slam. So, you know, she, she's making fun of all of us in a way, not in a mean way, but she's just trying to show us that sometimes we prefer our own suffering. Sometimes we slam the door on the easier route. Sometimes we slam the door on our own happiness. And uh, 
And as a person who does psychic work, you know, actually my least favorite client, um, and granted, sometimes I feel like, you know, if you, if you are a client of mine and you work with me over the internet, probably, um, I feel like all the people that I manifest from Horoscope Witch who want, who want to work with me, uh, which I'm always so appreciative, appreciative of, and it just feels so special that, you know, you find me on this podcast and then you want to work with me in some deeper level, uh, I feel like those people are super in alignment with my message because you guys already like kind of know my vibe and then you want to work with me versus in person when I work at um, at the metaphysical shop that I do in the Chicagoland area. Um, people are walking in. Most people have no idea that I have a podcast or whatnot. They don't really know who I am. They probably look at me and they probably say, you know, this person's way too young to be doing psychic work, but let's give her a try. Um, I would say in general, and this doesn't happen often, but my least favorite clients are the ones who I just immediately recognize that they're very content in their suffering. And there's some, there's something about the way they live their life where they're complaining about this thing. And from spirit, I'm getting that it's easily fixable in this way. But then you're giving them advice that you know they're not going to do or take action on. And it's because there's a part of them that enjoys the suffering. Um, I'm trying to think of like a good example. I Once I read for a, an older woman who is probably somewhere in her 70s who's in like a very unhappy and controlling marriage and she has been for a while and she was kind of having an affair on the side but it wasn't sexual it's more like this romantic friendship kind of thing and she would kind of call this guy and she has this whole like fantasy thing about you know, being with this other guy, but she can't leave her husband and all this stuff is, and it's just, it was so apparent to me that she was so attached to the fantasy and the suffering of this all. And no matter what I was ever going to say in that reading, she was never going to change her life. And it's not my place to advise someone to leave their marriage or, you know, break up with their side piece or whatever it may be. Um, but really, Spirit's advice in general didn't even have anything to do with her her romantic, her romantic stuff. It was about how she's attracting these controlling men. And um, she's been being called for a while to step into her own power and do the things that she loves. But it was just so apparent in her energy that there was some part of her that was a co-creator in this in this dynamic of um, the controlling husband. And there there were clear there were clear things that could have been done uh, that she could have been doing. But she was choosing not to. And that's overall, it's just my least favorite kind of reading. And um, lately, I've been setting the intention that, you know, I'm manifesting clients who are who are wanting to kind of face their shadow in some way or who are wanting to do a little bit of deeper work or who who are wanting to sort of just 
do some personal development, right? In general, a client who is unwilling to do personal development is probably not going to entirely vibe with the work that I do. You know, if you're looking for a fortune teller who's gonna, you know, I don't know, just fluff your ego, that's not me, okay? I'm a light worker and I'm a shadow worker. So why do I tell you guys that? I don't know. I'm just saying that there there are people who I think are it and this isn't me trying to be like we're it's such a high frequency but I think it is sort of a low frequency to carry around with you um when you're unwilling to look at yourself and and you're unwilling to take action in your life and and you're unwilling to recognize that you are in charge of your own life you're in charge of your manifestations uh so yeah I'll I'll stop there. I think I'm blamping, but if that resonated with anybody, we'll just we'll just go with it. So, um, I'm thinking when I'm reading this, I'm thinking, what is it going to take to shift my mindset? There's still a lot of parts of me that are stuck in that suffering, are stuck in that attachment to, I can't do this, I can't change that, I can't manifest that, that's impossible. Um, What is it going to take to shift my mindset into God is co-creating with me and God wants me to achieve my dreams because my soul came here to achieve what I want to achieve, so why wouldn't God want me to fulfill that soul contract, if that makes sense? Um, So, Julia Cameron, (laughs) going back to Julia Cameron, on 52, she says, the quality of life is in proportion always to the capacity for delight. The capacity for delight is the gift of paying attention. So what does she mean by that? Um, what, what she means is, um, and again, it goes back to, you know, happiness can't be bought. Happiness has to be an internal manifestation. It has to be coming from the internal. Creation makes us happy. We are resistant to creation. Uh, (laughs) So that your quality of your life, um, the amount of suffering that you're experiencing versus the amount of happiness you experience. uh, She's saying that it boils down to your own capacity for delight. The capa- and she says the capacity for delight is the gift to paying attention. Now, if you're a creative and you're a writer and you're an artist or whatnot, you know what it's like to pay very close attention to the world that's going on about you. That's what they call inspiration, right? When, it, when an artist or a writer says, this place really inspired me, or that moment really inspired me, or that book, or that whatever, that painting really inspired me. What are they really saying? They're saying, I was paying attention. I was paying attention to life. And when we pay attention to life, that's when we find these delights, and that's when we create a happier existence. Now, how many of us don't pay attention in everyday life? Just even think of your your transit to work every morning. Um, How many of us zone out when we're in traffic? How many of us plug in 
uh, to our music, to our podcasts, uh, to YouTube, to whatever, to drown out actually what's going on in the external world. And I'm not saying that's always bad. And I think, you know, there are some moments where that's fine. Um, But if we're drowning out the external world to an unhealthy extent, we're not then giving the universe a chance to inspire us, to create, to create with us. And we're not giving ourselves a chance to notice the details of life. And if we can't give ourselves a chance to notice the details of life, then how are we supposed to create anything? That's where this whole I'm uninspired, I'm blocked comes from. It's probably coming from you're not paying attention to the details. And then she says on 53, the reward for attention is always healing. Um, So, oh man, I remember, you know, in college when I really was motivated to write and I had a writing routine and I was waking up early every morning and it was wonderful and I felt excited to wake up and you know, I would just, I would be inspired at every turn. And it, be, it was because I had, I had my frequency on to sort of match the external world. And I was allowing the external world to inspire me. And I would notice all of these details and I would pay attention to what people were saying. And I would write things down. And isn't there so much joy about carrying around an inspiration journal When's the last time you did that, right? I bet there's so many shadow artists listening to this that haven't, you know, haven't brought their little reporter's notebook around in a quite a while. I want you to read, you know, reinvest that into your life. I mean, do your morning pages, do your artist date, but where's your little inspiration journal? Where's your reminder to notice the details? And you know, guys, you know, think of someone that you know, maybe it's a famous person, maybe whoever it is. Have you ever heard someone tell their life story and it just sounds so amazing? Like, you know, I'm talking, maybe I'm talking about someone like really big, like someone like really famous, like Oprah or JK Rowling or Brene Brown or someone who's like super inspiring about the way they tell their story and you're listening to their story and you're like so in awe of what they're saying and you're like wow you know amazing things just don't happen to me though (laughs) you know Brene Brown and Oprah and JK Rowling you know they're so special they must be like God's favorite kids (laughs) and I'm just not gonna be like that you know, um, but I'm like, dude, they're not, they're not God's favorite kids. God doesn't have favorite kids. You know why Oprah and JK Rowling and Brene Brown, they tell their story in such an inspiring way. It's because they pay attention. They notice the details of life. That's why they're special. That's why they appear to be special. What they're doing is actually very simple. And I'm not discounting, you know, them as people uh, because obviously they are special and they're talented and la-di-da-di-da. But what makes their story happen is because they take the time to notice the details. And there are some people in this world let's say they have a really similar story to Oprah or they have a really similar story to J.K. Rowling. Yet when they tell their story, 
It's coming from a place of victimhood or it's coming from a place of suffering. Um, and it's coming from a place of maybe blocked creative. So you can see how certain people have similar stories and it's all about how you tell your story. And it's also all about how willing you are to notice the magical things. And I, I think Oprah, she says something like, I don't believe in coincidences. Like she doesn't, she doesn't believe in coincidences. And I'm like looking at her and I'm like, damn right. She doesn't believe in coincidences uh, because she's always noticing the details. She doesn't take anything for granted. Uh, if something comes into her life, it's for a reason. If she's inspired by something, she knows she has to do something with that information. And really what I'm trying to say is paying attention to the details is really what allows us to create. Um, so maybe you haven't been able to regularly do the morning pages yet. I'm all with you. I'm raising my hand. Maybe you haven't been able to do your artist date yet with yourself. Um, that's okay. Maybe you're still working through this stuff. Maybe the creative recovery journey for you, as it has for me, has taken you to weird and dark places about inner child work and you're like oh my god um but if anything what we can all start doing right now right today pay more attention notice the details even if it's like eating a piece of fruit and you're eating this raspberries or or peeling an orange isn't that so cool how nature just makes that nature just pulls that out of its ass like <laughs> like even these little things that we can notice that we can appreciate um isn't it cool that I'm staring I'm at my desk right now and I'm staring at my bookshelf and you know if I notice the details isn't it cool that I'm staring at so many people who have lived before me who have somehow managed to put their ideas onto paper and really when it comes down to it um you know, writing a book, it, it's really not a unique, it's not a unique action. It's not a unique thing. But what is unique is each person's story. Um, and what is, it's sort of reminding me that so many people have managed to do the thing that I believe I'm incapable of, which is probably writing a book, which I've been told before by quite a few psychics that I will write a book one day um but that seems so far away maybe it's not so far away um so on page 54 let's see here 54 I'm gonna flip here so I'm gonna read you guys the rules of the road on page 54 so she says um Julia Cameron says in order to be an artist I must show up to the page, use the page to rest, to dream, to try. Fill the well by caring for my artist. Set small and gentle goals and meet them. Pray for guidance, courage, humility. Remember that it is far harder and more painful to be a blocked artist than it is to do the work. Ooh, ouch, that's a sword in the heart. Um, be alert always for the presence of the great creator leading and helping my artist. 
Choose companions who encourage me to do the work, not just talking about doing the work or why I am not doing the work. Remember that the creator loves creativity. Remember that it is my job to do the work, not judge the work. Place this sign in my workplace. Great creator, I will take care of the quantity. You will take care of the quality. So in general, that list that I just read, Yes, it was about creating. Yes, it was about making our art. But can you see how every single person on this planet could use to look at that list? Um, Every single person could work through something on that list. If you're feeling unhappy in life, can you see how certain things in those lists can apply to you? And we're feeling when we're feeling like victims, we're feeling a lot of self-pity. We're feeling like the world is against us and God just doesn't like us go to that list, rewind and, you know, listen to that again, go to that list, because that list will actually give you concrete things to start doing that are going to improve your life. And that's what's special about this book. Julia Cameron, she's not this guru. She's not claiming to be the spiritual guru who can fix your problems. She's asking you to be your own guru. And anybody who's asking you know, the individual to be their own individual guru, I vibe with, right? Because I don't even believe in the guru complex. I don't believe that um, we should look for God outside of ourselves. Um, God exists within us. And that's really what she's encouraging. And then one more exercise for you guys on page 57. I'm being drawn to specifically exercise number seven on page 57 so this is something you guys can do later it says draw a circle divide it into six pieces of pie label one piece spirituality another exercise another play and so on with work friends and romance and adventure so you're going to make a pie draw a pie it's going to have six pieces and the pieces are going to be spirituality exercise, play, work, friends, romance, adventure, okay? Place a dot in each slice at the degree to which you are fulfilled in that area. Um, Outer rim indicates great, inner circle, not so great. Connect the dots. This will show you where you are lopsided. So I will tell you guys, and this is part of the healing, I had like no dots, in play it uh, I, I had like nothing in play so you wonder why I'm so blocked because my that's all my inner child wants to do is play and I have no place in my life where I'm doing that hence why I need to go take these dance classes but regardless you can kind of see where are you out of balance to be a creative um, and just to be a happy person w- who who is able to work through their suffering uh, with action and with diligence, we do kind of need to be aware of where we're lopsided in life. Uh, and I think all of those those areas of life that she listed, I think they're pretty legitimate, like spirituality, exercise, play, work, friends, romance, adventure. Those are some of the things that I think we often forget about and again what is our conditioning in this capitalistic patriarchy patriarchal society I can pretty much guarantee that 
everybody who's going to make that pie, you're going to have like 50 dots in work and nothing in play or adventure uh, because our society doesn't necessarily encourage those activities or find value or worth to those creativities. Uh, So on page 63, moving on, on page 63, we're, we're, now we're getting into part three of the book. Recovering a sense of power is what week three is titled. And on page 62, Julia Cameron says, Answered prayers are scary. They imply responsibility. You asked for it. Now that you've got it, what are you going to do? Why else the cautionary phrase, Watch out for what you pray for. You might just get it. Answered prayers deliver us back to our own hand. This is not comfortable. We find it easier to accept them as examples of synchronicity. Um, So, and then she gives a couple examples about how answered prayers come in really fast. So she says, a woman admits to a buried dream of acting. At, um... At an event the next night, she sits behind a man who teaches beginning actors. Okay, so literally that exact same thing happened in my life like two weeks ago. Um, And then the other thing too, I wanted to say like just a personal story of how quickly our prayers can be answered if we allow them to be and we take the gift. Um, Even my journey, and one day I will make a podcast just like a My Spiritual Journey podcast. Uh, But... Uh, and I've probably told this story at some point. When I told the universe that I wanted to read tarot professionally, I basically like didn't even have to do, I had to do very minimal work for that to actually happen uh, in the sense that I got home from a year of travel. I was thinking that I, I have to do something in this realm, the spirituality realm. It's calling to me. At some point, I'm I'm laying in my room, and it kind of just came to me that I needed a candle. So I'm looking up metaphysical shops in the area. I see one by my house that I've never heard of before. I get in my car. I drive over there. I walk into this metaphysical shop. I start talking to the lady behind the counter who's now my boss. I, I told her I'm kind of interested in tarot. She asked me to read for her on the spot. I did, and I walked out with a job. So you can see how... <laughs> I'm laughing because that story is just like synchronicity, right? If God wants it for you and you want it for you, it will happen. Again, I wasn't necessarily seeking that job in particular but I had said to the universe I'm ready to sort of do this and they showed me the way very quickly and they made that way very easy for me to obtain so uh, let me get a drink of water sorry guys and that's the magic of the prayer being answered but we need to be brave enough to take the gift 
Um, so on 63, Julia Cameron says, It is my experience that we're much more afraid that there might be a God than we are that there might not be. Incidents like those above happen to us, and yet we dismiss them as sheer coincidence. Okay, I don't believe in coincidences, okay? If Oprah doesn't believe in coincidences, I ain't believing in them either, okay? So we need to actually, I think we need to eradicate this idea that things just happen because. No that a coincidence by definition is an event that can't really be explained but it carries some sort of importance that's god (laughs) a coincidence any coincidences that are happening in your life that's why i use the word synchronicity um, because it, it implies that God, it's God's, hand, it's in God's hands. God is handing you a gift. That's really what a coincidence is. Um, and on sixty-five, Julia Cameron says, "Never ask whether you can do something. Say and said that you are doing it. Then fasten your seatbelt. The most remarkable things follow." So I really relate to that as someone with a very unusual job because I spent many months wondering if I could actually be an astrologer. But the minute I said I am an astrologer, and I became more confident in myself and I trusted in myself, then I think maybe some of you and other people too I think they recognize that there was something about my frequency that changed and once you shift into the I am instead of the can I should I could I would I what if all of these things keep us from the I am so even if you aren't completely there yet if you just start saying I am a creative. I am a published poet. I am a novelist. I am an astrologer. I am a tarot reader. I am a psychic. If we can just start saying those things, uh, I, I'm pretty certain that God will meet us. Um, it, I'm very certain that God will meet us where where we are claiming that we want to go. Right. Uh, and talk about coincidences. This next passage that I'm going to read you, I saw it in two separate books within like 24 hours. So it's a really important passage about commitment and actually committing to our path and committing to our goals, committing to our creativity. So take a deep breath. I really want you to take this in. So um, it's it's a quote by W.H. Murray, who is a Scottish Himalayan, the Scottish Himalayan expedition, W.H. Murray tells us his explorer's experience. So he says, until one is committed, there is hesitancy, the chance to draw back, always in effectiveness. Concerning all acts of initiative or creation, there is one elementary truth the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. The moment one definitely commits to oneself, the province moves too. All sorts of things occur to help one that would otherwise never have occurred. A whole stream of events issues from that decision, raising in one's favor all manner of incidences in meetings and material assistance, which no man would have believed would have come his way. Okay, so spark notes on that. Um, If we stay in limbo, 
where we're like, I don't know, should I, could I, I could be an artist, I could, I, when we stay in that frequency, things don't flow. If we can get ourselves to commitment, 100% committing to ourselves, committing to our path in some way, things flow. That's when miracles happen. Because actually the universe is really just waiting for us to commit to things. And I've been in places in my life this year where I haven't fully committed to my path. And it's made it harder. It's made life harder. Uh, it's drained my energy. I uh, There's a point where I had a really big kind of psychic burnout around August, around Virgo season of this year. And I actually think it was because I wasn't fully committing to my path and in not fully committing again I was I was making it harder it's like when we don't when we're only 60 percent or 50 percent in on something actually spirit showing me like um kind of like a car that like is in neutral and there's people pushing it so it's a lot harder to get it moving but if we 100% commit then it's like the gas is working again um, and we can get to our de destination faster sooner easier more happily with more joy and with God holding our hands so you know with this I guess right now it's November 21st so we're kind of um we're kind of approaching the new year and quote unquote new year's resolutions but if there is something that you want to shed going into this new year 2020 it, maybe it should be not fully committing to what you want to commit to um, because if we can get ourselves to 100 percent commitment again things will be easier so you're probably at this point like, I get it, Mal. God's on my side. Um, so why can't I still take action? So on 67, Julia Cameron also says, those of us who get bogged down by fear before action are usually being sabotaged by an older enemy, shame. Shame is a controlling device. Shame, shaming someone is an attempt to prevent the person from behaving in a way that embarrasses us, okay? So that's going back to all of the stuff I was saying about inner child healing. Um, if we're constantly being faced with a pattern in our lives, where we can never follow through on anything or we're constantly getting to the edge of the cliff but we can't jump and then we go back to the old pattern and we self-sabotage that's definitely an inner child wound uh that's coming from that shame and embarrassment and also I would say indecision at times again indecision and the inability to commit to your path also coming from childhood wounds and I think that's why this book gets so deep because it really just it, it calls out all of our bullshit right um and you know and who's really embarrassed is it really our adult selves probably not there's probably an adult version of who we are that doesn't really give a fuck about what people think but then there's this deeper child beneath that who's like no I, I really care what people think I want people to love me and I'm really afraid to be embarrassed because if I do something that's embarrassing um, then I'm gonna get yelled at or I'm gonna be exiled from the community or whatever it even gets like caveman um, you know monkey minds when in the in the developing human uh, you know 
when we were like caveman times uh <laughs> it wasn't good to stick out you wanted to be of service to your to your people because those are the people that protected you and provided you food and uh there was survival when it comes to group dynamics in caveman times we probably couldn't have survived just by ourselves as a loner and if your tribe or your group of people that you lived with recognized you as weird or embarrassing or shameful, um, you were probably seen as a threat to the survival of the whole group. So this stuff, it's like there's so many layers to the human psyche when we when we really examine embarrassment and shame and and inner child healing uh so julia cameron says on 67 if a child has ever been made to feel foolish for believing himself or herself as talented the act of actually finishing a piece of art will be fraught with internal shaming oh my gosh just let that sink in just let that sink in for a second and then also on 67, Julia Cameron says, making a piece of art may feel a lot like telling a family secret. Okay, so maybe some of us have actually faced that in our resistance to the morning pages. Perhaps you are like me and you've become a little bit resistant to the morning pages because they're bringing up shit that you don't sometimes want to think about. Same thing when we create. I mean, we can't, uh, you know, any story, any short story or any novel um, that's a great novel, it, it's coming from something about the author or something about the poet or something about the artist. They're, they're probably expressing something from their childhood or something about their family dynamics or something about their own wounding. And that's really what art is. It's, you know, take your shit, turn it into art. I once had a professor say that take your shit and turn it into gold that's what that's what it all is um but in order to take your shit and turn it into gold um we actually have to be willing to look at our shit and sometimes you know revealing those those family secrets uh somehow in the writing or or revealing something about your inner child in the writing that can be very triggering and i think we have often been made you know, to feel shameful about those curiosities that we may explore in writing. I think Julia, Julia actually says, yeah, we've often been made to feel ashamed about our social, sexual, or spiritual curiosities. Um, so 67, going on that, going on that idea about revealing secrets. The act of making art exposes a society to itself. Art brings things to light. It illuminates us. It sheds light on our lingering darkness. It casts a beam into the heart of our darkness and says, see? So again, we we wonder. We think like writer's block is just this like surface level thing, but it's not. Being a blocked creative, it's it goes so deep it goes deeper than the ocean. You know, it, it really does. It, there's so many layers. It could be family layers. It could be inner child layers. It could be society's layers. Um, and then on 69, shame is re-triggered in us as adults because our internal artist is always our creative child. Because of this, making piece of art can cause us to feel shame. 
so that's where I'm at right now because there's a I know there's a part of through this book I've realized there's a part of my inner child like I said I feel a lot of embarrassment I feel a lot of shame on a daily basis for no rational reason um so yes being in that creative space has become triggering in some way uh and that's difficult. And now I'm being faced with this, like I said, this whole layer of healing that kind of needs to be done in order for me to get back to creativity. Although I'm also struggling because I want to create and heal at the same time. And I actually think that's what must be done. It's not like point A to point B to point C to point D. It's not like point A, I go to therapy, point B, I take this dance class, point C, then I can finally write again, and point D, I can be a published poet. That's not really how it's going to go, although that's how my rational mind wants it to be. Um, he, especially healing the creative, it seems very non-linear. Um, it seems like it's just not going to be what I think it's going to be. So almost I want, I'm feeling called to just have us all take a deep breath and sort of release, <sighs> release any expectations that we had about what our creative recovery was going to look like. And also release any timelines that w we had in our head to release any internal pressures and allow ourselves the space to really work through the shame that we may be facing work through the triggers that we may be facing allow ourselves the space to do that and also I think we need to recognize that we can do this and continue to at least try and attempt to create at the same time even if it is re-triggering sometimes those triggering moments can also be the moment we rewrite the story uh, and maybe it's kind of a gift that if our own art or our own creations trigger us can we see that as a gift because it's really in that moment then it's all in our power and we can rewrite our story any way we want to write it and I think it's interesting to see that art can be triggering to us and our inner child uh, because then going back to take your shit, turn it into gold. Not that your inner child is shit, not that your wounds are shit, not that your trauma is shit, but you guys are picking up what I'm putting down. We can kind of take those moments and then from the trigger retell our story and then finally we kind of come out of this shadow artist and we become the artist and actually what is really the transition from the shadow artist to the artist I think the shadow artist just quite literally keeps things in the shadow the artist is still working with the shadow but the artist is bringing the shadow into the light and I think that's really what Julia Cameron is getting at um and I did want to take a moment to, she has this, she does have this section, I, I might skip over this, about being careful about who we ask for critique. Uh, on 72, 
I think I'm going to skip over that because I think we're talking so much about deeper stuff. I don't even feel ready in any way, shape, or form in my creative journey right now to even show anybody anything at this moment. And maybe you're at the same place too. But if you're if you're a little bit more advanced than me in your creative recovery process and you've been writing or making stuff and you're you're searching for critique, do look at page 71 where it kind of tells us like to be careful about who we're asking for, um, you know, critique. But maybe we'll end with some more about the morning pages struggle. Yes, let's let's end with the morning pages struggle because I have touched on that a couple times throughout this podcast, but we haven't gotten completely into it. And I know there are probably people on the other side listening to this that are also struggling with getting into the routine of doing the morning pages. Um, so Julia on page 80, she says, I have notice that many tend to neglect or abandon the pages whenever an unpleasant piece of clarity is about to emerge. If we are, for example, very, very angry but not admitting it, then we will be tempted to say we feel okay about that. The morning pages will not allow us to get away with this evasion, so we tend to avoid them. So actually, this is interesting because in everyday society, we tend to... um, say things like I'm fine it's fine I'm over it I'm over it I'm, I'm so over it the morning pages will actually tell you you're not over it <laughs> and that's not something that we want because again we've been so programmed to just move on keep working keep producing don't just get over it and and go 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 but we have to remember and I said this in the last moon sermon trauma doesn't know time Trauma does not know time. So things in the morning pages, we could be re remanaging and reorganizing within our own minds certain traumas that we thought we were over. Um, morning pages could be bringing up things that we don't want to admit are still bothering us. They could be a trauma caused by an old boss. They could be an old relationship from from years ago that you would prefer not to think about. Morning pages could be bringing up, of course, uncomfortable childhood realizations. Uh, and it's funny how the more we write our story, the more things just come out. Uh, one of a really good book um, by, if you listen to the Empaths Alchemy podcast, my good friend and really just like, I view her as a mentor, um, Rebecca Garifo, she wrote a book called Too Sensitive. And it's an autobiography. And you can actually, in the evolution of that book, she's writing her story and it's almost like, you're reading her morning pages in a way it's extremely intimate story and she's so brave to share everything that she did um although I think it was just it was probably just the next step in her healing to really write that all down although I can't speak for her Uh, but you can see in the evolution of of that book um too sensitive if you've read it or want to read it I would recommend it uh it kind of just gets deeper and deeper and the layers of trauma just keep peeling and peeling and peeling. And without sharing anything about her story, um, you know, by the end, there is this like huge 
trauma that just kind of comes to the surface and it in a way it kind of reminded me of the way we do morning pages like if you really do this every single day um page you know day one it could be you're writing just random stuff and by by day by day 50 you're like deep into something that happened when you were five years old uh so the the morning pages in a way they don't get easier and that's where I'm meeting resistance um they actually I don't want to say they get harder it's sort of like doing them gets easier like the act of getting in the routine of waking up getting your coffee getting back into bed and just writing those three pages but the stuff that might be brought up does get harder at times and then on page 80 Julia Cameron says, by contrast, if we are suddenly and madly in love, the morning pages may seem threatening. Oh, we don't want to puncture the fragile and shiny bubble of our happiness. We want to stay lost in the sea of a blissful us rather than be reminded that there is an I in we that is temporary bl- temporarily blinded. So that's interesting that, um, you know, being madly in love could could keep us from doing these morning pages too it kind of reminds me and if you work with the tarot as a um as a healing and self-development tool you may realize that when you're going through um maybe happy times maybe you're not pulling as many cards because what if a quote-unquote bad or scary card comes out and and ruins your your blissful happiness or whatnot like that that's that kind of is what that reminded me of or we also think of a friend or maybe us as individuals carry do this too if you're madly in love with someone and it's a beautiful and distracting honeymoon phase uh, we may see our friend be in that and sort of separate themselves from their other friendships they don't want anybody to point out something that could be wrong with that dynamic and we could find ourselves doing that too subconsciously spending a lot of time with someone again who we're madly in love with we're in the honeymoon stage or maybe subconsciously avoiding some more grounding friendships that could point out this or that the things that we don't want to see morning pages sometimes are like that very grounding friend who will point out the things that you don't want to see and that's why they become threatening at times um so the other thing julia cameron says she says extreme emotions are usually triggers for avoiding the pages themselves and uh she gives some examples. So I have outgrown this job. This marriage isn't working for me. I wonder about couples therapy. I wonder if I'm not just bored with me. I am bored with me. It might be fun to learn French. Um, As we notice which friends bore us, which situations leave us stifled, we are often rocked by waves of sorrow. We may want our illusions back. We want to pretend the friendship works. We don't want the trauma of searching for another job that was on page 81 so again yeah i I, 
I'm now realizing it at a new level while talking why I've been resistant to the morning pages. Um, there, I think there are parts of myself that I'm still avoiding seeing. And it's the morning pages are could become a very shadowy activity in the best way. We kind of just have to allow ourselves to do them. And um, sorry, guys, I'm kind of I'm I'm looking at how to sort of end this episode because we kind of have gotten really really heavy and I'm looking at the quotes in front of me maybe we should just end like this and by the way let me know dm me on instagram if you're also having a hard time doing the morning pages because maybe we can help each other but this is kind of this is kind of uh, a good place to end for this part two Part three is coming. Um, On page 83, Julia Cameron says, Long-seated depression breaks up like an ice flow. Long frozen feelings thaw, melt, cascade, flood, and often overrun their container. Ace of Cups. You may find yourself feeling volatile and changeable. You are. Be prepared for bursts of tears and of laughter. A certain giddiness may accompany sudden stabs of loss. Think of yourself as an accident victim walking away from the crash. Your old life has crashed and burned. Your new life isn't apparent yet. You may feel yourself to be temporarily without a vehicle. Just keep walking. Okay. Oh, yeah. And again, another challenge, like just how much and I've I'm realizing this this book is like a magic book it's a magic book that's not titled paganism witches um spell book but it is a magic book in the way that you know it will change your life It, it will bring things to the surface it will force you to look at things you don't want to look at uh but it's magic. It's still magic because you're manifesting things that, you know, you've only dreamt that you could. And now you're realizing through doing this book that things are a lot easier than you originally imagined them to be. And although we're kind of like this this ice cube or this tundra that Julia Cameron's describing, I think sometimes the melting process is painful. Um, and maybe right now I'm kind of, I'm melting away certain things that have been wanted to be melted away for a while. I just haven't. The morning pages is melting away my, my igloo. Um, doing this podcast is melting it away. Um, once I sign up for those dance classes, I may just be a full just pool of melted ice. Uh, and it's kind of scary And I'm a little bit afraid of what this transformation is going to do, but I'm also excited. And I would encourage you to also get excited with how these practices and how these realizations can help you rediscover who you are and help you get a little bit more, have more agency and have more autonomy to your own life, if that makes sense. So... Oh, it was such a good episode. Thank you guys so much for um, for listening. Why don't I do... 
I'll do an ending poll. Um, I have some cards in front of me. So what I'll do is I have a animal deck. So I'll, I'll just kind of, um, I'm going to just flip to or pick a random animal right now. And I'll see what the spiritual message is for us at this moment. So, um, okay. All right, so actually we got the shark, and if you're familiar, I'm I'm actually reading from the, <laughs> this seems poignant, I'm reading from the Wild Unknown Animal Spirit Guidebook by Kim Kranz. Uh, we got the shark, so the keywords for shark are directness, exposure, revealing the true nature, and desire. Oh my gosh, were we not just talking about that the whole time? The shark is only dangerous when we don't acknowledge it. This card indicates that something big needs to be exposed. Oh my god. That's literally what the morning pages do. Uh, It's lurking in the depths and creating tension. The shark energy takes over us when we are hesitant to be honest, to be totally ourselves, or to say what we really want. It may be tempting to continue pretending nothing is wrong, but when the shark energy is at play, we feel its presence encircling us. So I feel so strongly that it is, that is such a strong message from spirit that we need to keep investigating the things that we don't want to be honest about. And we need to actually be honest with ourselves. And this message is for me too. Be honest with yourself about why you don't want to do the morning pages. Be honest with yourself about why you're resistant to this or that. Of course, be honest, but be gentle and find a good balance between those two. Uh, We need to be gentle with ourselves when we're healing. uh, But we also, honesty is key. And there's something about the morning pages that don't allow for our lies against ourselves. And the last thing I'm going to read you actually comes from one of my astrology books. And I was reading a chapter on Neptune. Um, and this is, at this point, we're not really talking about astrology. But in, in this in this chapter on Neptune, uh, the author says, uh, the fact that a person cannot recall all of these past memories and experiences does not mean that his outlook on life and behavior are not influenced by them. Okay, so I just immediately thought of that that passage that I highlighted when we were reading the shark because just because we don't remember everything, just because we don't think something is affecting us, it doesn't mean it's not. Oh, love you guys. (laughs) Good luck with that shadow work. I hope that by Artist Way Part 3, I hope I'm going to have some new realizations and I hope I'm able to come back to the Artist Way Part 3, let's say in about a month or so. I usually space these out about a month and I hope I'm going to be able to say that um, I've taken a dance class or I've done some more trauma working when it comes to being in my body. I hope I can tell you guys that um, I've been more regular about my morning pages. And I hope I can tell you that another amazing, miraculous synchronicity that God put in my path. And I hope I can also say that I took the gift and I didn't deny it and I accepted the gift. (laughs) So we'll see how just how much one month will change our creative process. Sending you guys love and healing on your creative journey. 
know that we only are shadow artists as long as we allow ourselves to be and I think I'm finally ready to sort of shed that that identification of the shadow artist and really just move into artist okay so thanks guys for listening and I'll see you guys next time